message, um, the storms of life. Uh, and this morning, I want to turn to uh, the book of Psalms, the 46th number. And we're also going to look at Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter, to take a look at uh uh, some things I think that will help us because as we talked about the storms of life and learning how to trust Jesus in the midst of the storm, this kind of dovetails on it just a little bit, but a little different take on it uh, as we look at uh, this 46 number of some and we're going to also compare it with and see a real life situation where this took place in the life of the children of God. And so as we look at this 46 number of some, uh, I'm going to start my reading um, at verse number eight, and we'll go down to verse number 10, okay? It's often been said that the book of Psalms is like a spiritual medicine cabinet. How many of y'all got medicine cabinets at your house? Usually that medicine cabinet is where in the bathroom, is that correct? Um, and so, um, you know, and if you go into the average medicine cabinet, you'll see a variety of different Peels, right, or cough syrup, or or whatever you have up in there. Is that correct? Am I am I right? All right. And so uh, and so you'll pull down. I know if I start getting a sore throat, I'll pull down some stuff to kind of deal with the sore throat issue, uh, or whatever. You know, a back pain. Pull some leave down and uh, or some Tylenol or something to try to deal with the back pain. So that medicine cabinet, we go into there. Uh, to uh, pull out something that will help us uh, to deal with whatever our physical ailment is. Uh, but Psalms is often being compared to a spiritual medicine cabinet, so we can go into these Psalms and we can look at and see the faithfulness of God and the power of God exuded through these Psalms. Uh, and so in this 46 number of Psalms, we're going to look at this text and then we'll go to Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter. Verse 8, from, uh, we're going to read from the KJV, uh, Psalms 46, verse number 8 from the King James Version of the Scripture, and we'll move forward from there. I want to, uh, you know, I, want, I really want you to pay attention today, and as, as I always do, uh, but I want you to focus in on the message today because I think that what God is trying to do with his church today is to prepare us for the, for the things that are coming upon the church in these last and evil days that we're living in. The church is being challenged the life of a believer and as a Christian in this country is being challenged uh, by, by evil forces. It's being challenged uh, by people and the spirit behind those people who don't want to give you the opportunity to express your love for your God other than just in the church and at your house. So what we got to realize is that because of the mandate that we've been giving as believers, we, we, are, we are called upon to go out and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how can we reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we only keep the gospel in the church and in our house? Are y'all listening to me? So the enemy is trying to get us to a point to where, um, you know, we are scared to move. He's, he's attacking the church. He's attacking us individually in our own lives. And so we need to make sure that we know what we know and we know what we know and we're practicing what we know, okay? So when we look at this uh, psalm, we start in verse number eight. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the, the bow and cutteth the spear in the sunder. 
he burneth the chariot in the fire. But verse 10 is what the one I want to focus in on. Everybody read with me. It says, what? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11, for good measure, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our what? Refuge. I want to use as our subject and our focal point today, be still and know. Everybody say, be still and know. It, say it one more time. Say, be still and know. Uh, how many of y'all can remember the days when you were with your parents, whether it's in church or you were at a school function or you were out somewhere and, uh, and, and, your, and your mom and your dad looked over at you and told you, boy, be still. How many of y'all have been told to be still in church before? <laughs> All right. I think we all are familiar with that because um, we've had that said to us, uh, you know, by our parents. But using those those words in this instance, in this text right here, doesn't really catch the full meaning of it. Because when we think about be still, we're thinking about just what our mom and daddy told us. Don't move. Okay. But to really get the grasp and the concept of this particular psalm that's given here, we got to go a little bit deeper. Um, the Hebrew word or the Hebrew phrase be still literally means to let go. Everybody say let go. It literally means to put your arms down to, by your side. Okay. Some translation word it this way. It means to cease from striving. It means to relax. Everybody say cease from striving. Relax. Have you ever been in a period in your life where you feel like you were just striving, you were fighting, you were pressing your way? Anybody ever been there before? Where, where it, it seemed like it was a struggle to get things done in your life. And so uh, when we look at this, uh, this, this, this uh, psalm here, he says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. It, 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 this, this be still carries with it the idea that whenever you face a situation, a difficult or terrifying situation, it's, it, it literally says lay down your arms. Lay down your arms. Put, put down your sword and your shield, amen. Step aside and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Whenever you're facing a situation, Learn how to be still. Stop striving. Stop stressing. Stop, stop fighting and know that God is the one who will give you the victory in whatever you're facing in your life. Go with me to 2 Chronicles, the 20th, uh, 20th uh, chapter right quick. I wanna, I'm going to look at a situation that most of us are probably familiar with. A fellow by the name of Jehoshaphat in the 20th chapter of Chronicles. And we'll see a situation that's happening with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is reigning in Judah at this time. And Jehoshaphat, if you go back and read uh, a few ch uh, chapters prior to that, you'll, you'll notice that he took over after his dad Asa uh, uh, died. Okay, And Asa uh, started out right, like a lot of us, but he ended up wrong. Um, you know, one thing that I want to do as a minister of the gospel, as a Christian man, a brother in Christ, is I want to finish strong. 
I want to finish strong. And I want every last one of you all in here to finish strong also, to finish your course strong. There have been many people who you know and I know uh, who started out this journey strong. They were on fire for Jesus. They were intricately involved in the work of ministry. They were connected with fellow believers. They were doing things that God wanted them to do. But then all of a sudden, at some period in their life, they stopped doing that. And they're not even connected or involved with their ministry or church any longer. And then they end up finishing with a whimper. They go out, amen, without, without any a foundational footing up under them. And I don't want anybody in this church to not finish strong. I want you to finish strong because God desires to see our lives be used to the fullest as long as we got breath in our bodies. Can I get a witness? So we see here, well, so, uh, if you go back and read, Jehoshaphat uh, uh, is now uh, ruling in his father's stead. And as we come to this 20th chapter, we see a scenario happening. We'll start at verse number one. It says, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazardon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat, now watch this verse here. Verse number three, I want you to hone in on this because as we look back and focus on Psalms, the 46th number, when it says, be still and know, that's our subject, be still and know, be still and know. Everybody say, be still and know. Say it one more time, be still and know, okay? So when we look back and reflect on that, uh, that's 47 Psalms says, be still and know that I am God. And when we can be still, when we can cease from striving, when we can put our, when we can let go, put our arms down by our side, stop fighting and learn how to relax and know that God is God. Be still and know that he is God. So Jehoshaphat right here in this third chapter, third verse says what? The Bible says, and Jehoshaphat did what? Feared. And, but now watch what he does immediately after that sudden fear comes into his mind because if you're being surrounded by the enemy, if the enemy is getting ready to double team you or triple team you, then, then, then that, a little bit of fear will rise up, right? How many of y'all remember when you were in school and, uh, and somebody got ready to fight? You know, you know in school, you know, kids do that. They sit around and watch somebody you know, get ready to duke it out. And, and then you, you sitting around watching somebody get ready to fight. But then if, if, if two people get ready to jump on one person, what will, what will generally happen in those scenarios? Most people will sit back and watch one-on-one. -on -one, but if two jumps on one, what do, what, what do you do for your partner then? You're going to jump in too, right? If that's your, real, if that's your partner, if, you, if that's your road dog, if that's the guy that y'all ride or die. You ain't going to let two of them jump on one, right? So now think about this for a second. In this text right here, we're going to see where a, a, a conglomerate of nations begin to surround God's people and are getting ready to try to take them out. So a little bit of an element of fear came up in Jehoshaphat. Maybe if it was just one nation, he would not have feared and he would have been able to trust uh, uh, his, 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 his soldiers and their resources to be able to take care of them. But here we see in this text that they were surrounded by uh, several nations. And the text said, and Jehoshaphat did what? He feared. Sudden fear came up upon him. 
Just like sudden fear rises up in our lives and in our hearts whenever something unexpected comes our way. Whenever there's a health scare, when there's a financial dilemma, when there's a relationship that's gone awry, whenever there is a uproar in our community, whatever's going on, an uproar in the church, sudden fear arises. But y'all always know I quote this time and time again, be not afraid of sudden fear, Toya, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes, Gary, but the Lord will be your confidence and the Lord will keep your feet from being taken. The Lord will sustain you when you learn how to trust him, when you learn how to be still and know that he is God. When you stop fighting, you stop striving, when you stop, when you learn to put your arms down, put your dukes down and say, God, you're the one that's fighting my battle for me. Watch the text here, right? And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask what? Help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to do what? To seek the Lord. Now that's, that's critical because it says, be still and know in 47 number song. Know what? Know that, be still, know that I'm God. Jehoshaphat did something in his leadership that, that's really, uh, uh, I think we should take note of. The, the, the text says, back in verse number three, that he says, uh, that, and Jehoshaphat feared, and the first thing that he did after that fear arose, after seeing the enemy, he set himself to seek the Lord. Now, to set, again, goes back to uh, what we, we've shared with you on numerous occasions. When you set something, that means that you have to brace it. It's like setting a bone. You have to set your mind in a position where it can, it's seeking the Lord. To set it means that, that I have to train it. I have to train my thinking to not go off the, off the deep end. I have to train my mind to look to God. The text says the leader of the country sat himself to seek the Lord. And, and the Bible says this, and Judah gathered themselves. Well, not, not only did he seek the, he set himself to seek the Lord first and foremost, but he, he proclaimed what? A fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord even out of all of the cities of Judah, they came to do what? To seek the Lord. But what, I'm gonna tell you, what I want you to focus in on is that the leadership of Judah, Jehoshaphat, the leader, first and foremost, set the example. So what does that mean to us? In our homes, whoever's leading at home, husbands or mother, if you're a single parent, you have a responsibility to set the tone in your house. Can I get a witness? You have a responsibility to set the example for those who are up under your leadership. See, leaders have to lead. And Jehoshaphat gives the perfect example of what we should do whenever we face a trial in our life. Amen? He set the example. He's, the Bible says here he gathered himself up. He, he set himself to seek the Lord and claim a fast. And the Bible says that, that all of Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. But look at verse number five. Let's go, go down through it right quick and I'm going to go back to Psalms 46 number right quick. 
Look at verse 5. Can we read together? It says what? And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest now not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hands is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God? Now watch what he's doing here. Guys, what he's doing is he's putting God in remembrance of his word. He's putting God, he's reminding God of who, God already knows who he is, but God also gave us a challenge to put him in remembrance of his word. So whenever I'm facing something, whenever I'm going through something, I always go back and remind God what he said. Because as I put God in remembrance of his word, that means his word is in my mind. In order for my, my situation to change, I got to start thinking differently. See, when fear comes, I need faith to chase fear out. When fear comes, I need a word that I can stand on. Psalms 46 says, be still, relax, put your arms aside, put your dukes down, put your gun up, and know that God is God. Be still and know. So, so here he's, 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 he's reminding God of who he is. God already knows who he is, but I like Jehoshaphat's approach here. He says, art not, in verse 7, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. For thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. Now, he, he's, he's going through a litany of things and he just he's reminding himself as he's putting God in remembrance of who God is and what he's done. Guys, let me tell you something. Whenever you are facing opposition, Whenever you're facing a challenge or a, 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 the, an enemy in your life, one of the very things you need to do and I need to do is to go back and remember what God has already done for us. Here's what I know. If he did it five years ago, he can still do it today. Because the God I serve changes not. If he brought me through that two years ago, if he brought me through that last month, what makes me think he's not going to do it again? That's the kind of God we serve. He's faithful. But here still, Jehoshaphat is reminded. Let's skip down a little bit. Uh, I, I want to go, look, look, if you will, skip down with me uh, to verse number 12. It says, O oh, oh, our God, will thou not judge them? Talking about the enemy nation. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes upon thee. Have you ever had a situation where you just didn't know what to do? Have you had a scenario where all of your intellect, all of your, 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 your books and your, your strategies and your steps just don't seem to work and you don't know what, to, am I the only one that's been in a situation where I didn't, you didn't know what to do? The text says, he says, look, look, look again, it says, Neither know we what to do, 
But, there's a contrast here, right? But is a contrasting word. It says, but our eyes are upon thee. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you, God. I'm looking for you to give me the answer. Now, now, now again, uh, the text says in, in, in verse, look, look down with me, uh, in verse number 13, it says, and all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So we had the men and the women, the children, everybody was, was here coming together because Jehoshaphat sought the Lord, proclaimed the fast, and all of Judah came, and there Jehoshaphat is now petitioning God and sharing with them and saying, God, we don't know what to do, but we're going to look to you. And that's what we got to get to in our, in our own lives. Look, look, look down with, if you will. And I'm going to read this and I'm going to go back to Psalms 46 so I can share something with you that I think will be helpful because we got to realize that, that, that in order for us to experience victory in our life, in whatever area that is, there is a, a, a method, there is a pattern by which we should follow every time we're facing, amen, an onslaught of the enemy. And I'm, here, I'm telling you now, the, the, the enemy is going to get busy when we get busy doing things for God. As long as we're not doing anything of substance, uh, of doing anything that's having any impact, Satan could care less what we do. I mean, if, if, if we as a church and you as an individual aren't doing anything to impact people's lives, then, then you, you kind of like that guy that's on the bench that doesn't have any impact on the game. Why guard you when you sit on the bench? Why guard a guy? Have you ever went to a basketball game and saw them guarding the guy on the bench? I'm saying he, he on the bench. Gary, I'm over here. I'm guarding you. You, you on the bench, but I'm, I'm guarding him. <laughs> have you ever saw that? No. Because when you're on the bench, that means you aren't doing anything except cheering. You, 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 you know, he can, maybe I can stop him from cheering. But the cheering doesn't necessarily have an impact on the game per se. So if we're not doing anything, the enemy is not going to take time out to even mess with us. But if we start being effective, when we start reaching people with the gospel, when we start impacting folks' lives, when we start helping people get delivered, then now the enemy comes. And he'll use whoever he wants to use. He'll use your family members to get up under your skin. Did y'all hear me? He'll use your family. He'll use people who are close to you to get next to you. He'll use whoever he, he deems effective in getting us off of looking at our God. So the text says, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the text says in verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, uh, the son of whatever his name is, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Now watch this, because in, in the old covenant, remember the spirit that came upon men and, and, and gave wisdom, gave revelation, gave prophecy. The Bible says, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, what? Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus said the Lord unto you. He's speaking a word from the Lord. I like what he says. Look at what he says here. What? Huh? Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Watch this. For the battle is not yours, but what? But God's. Guys, the battle is not ours, but it belongs to the Lord. Basically said, in, in your, 
Jehoshaphat had to relax. The nation had to relax. They had to, they had to be still and know. They had to put their arms down. They had to, they had to make sure that they uh, stopped striving and trust that God had their back. That's something that we got to get to, guys, where we understand that we know that if we belong to God, he's our protector and our provider. He's our protector and our provider. Our protector and our provider. So, so uh, go back to Psalms 46. So, so remember that we're going to put a pin here and I want to go back to Psalms 46 right quick. Amen? Because a lot of us are striving. A lot of us are, are still trying to fight and we're still, we still not trusting that God has our back. And so as a result, we get into situations and we start doing things, amen, that are unbecoming of our, our stance in Christ Jesus. But you need to be still and know that he is God. Amen? Be still, relax, amen. But now, can we be honest though? Can we be honest with each other? Will y'all be honest with me? Sometimes it's tough to relax when you see the storm raging around you. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it's, 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 it's tough to lay down our arms. To, uh, it's tough to, to, uh, to do what Jehoshaphat is going to tell his people to do when facing the enemy. When we go back to Second Chronicles, we're going to see where they don't go out with the army, they go out with the choir. That would be just like if, if we had 50 troops outside with guns, with AK-47s, getting ready to attack us, and I tell the choir, see, there wasn't no men in the choir today. And I told the ladies in the choir, y'all go out there, y'all going to sing before we go out and do battle. Now, what would y'all think of me as a leader if I told them to do that? Yeah, you're like, Pastor, you don't lost your mind. But what we're going to see when we go back, that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. They sent the singers out, the psalmist, the choir out to the front of the battle. And what we got to realize is that God has a way of doing things that doesn't line up with the way we would do things. Come on, he sent the singers out. Some of y'all say, I know I ain't joining the choir now. <laughs> guys, guys, be still and know that he's God. Be still. Relax. Quit striving. Let Put your arms to your side. Learn how to trust God and watch him provide. Now watch. He says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth. See, be still and know that I'm God. In other words, what he's doing is he's reminding us that there is something that we can know, amen, that will help us to cease from striving and relax whenever the going gets a little rough. There is something that we can know, amen, because most of the times, again, when we're really being honest, when, when terrifying situations arise, 95% of us in here are going to respond emotionally. We're going to respond out of our emotions. We're going to entertain some feelings of fear and some feelings of insecurity and some feelings of panic. But in this psalm here, God challenges you and I. Come on now. He challenges you and I not to respond emotionally, but to respond on the basis of something that we know instead of something that we feel. Can I, can I, can I bring it home right quick? Can I, can, I, can I make it plain for you? 
Let's say, for instance, uh, uh, Danny and Constance, you guys look great today. You got a matching purple dress on with your matching purple bow tie. Y'all thought I wasn't going to notice that. Y'all are sharp today. So I'm picking on Danny and Constance. Y'all look sharp. But, but let, let me ask you something. Are there times when, in, in, in the number of years that you guys have been married where, where, uh, where there's a situation or issue or conflict arises in your marriage and you respond out of your emotions rather than what you know? Okay, how long y'all been married? 20 years in August, okay? All right, great. Um, Y'all said, don't call on me. Don't call on me. Y'all just happen to be in my line of sight. KD and Pastor, you guys have been married about three years. Are there times when, when you respond uh, to a situation in your marriage where conflict is, is involved, you respond out of your emotions? <laughs> Thank you. Amen, preacher. Okay. I think all of us can say that. E even going beyond marriage, even in work relationships, uh, in uh, uh in dealing with our children, there are many times, guys, where we respond out of emotions rather than, Leroy, out of what we know. Hello? Because when emotions, Sherry, are high, sometimes we forget what we know. Hello? Because I know and you know that, that, that when emotions arise, you forget that when you stood at the altar before me and all these folks or whoever married you and you said for better or for what? Worse. In sickness and in health. In the good times and the bad times. I'm just trying to, you know, and whatever's going on, you forget about what you know. You know you love that person, but right now in that moment, your emotions are saying, I want to kill him. I mean, you felt like that in your emotions, right? Don't y'all look at me like that. You forgot about what you knew because if, if push came to really shove, you know you love them, but when you are in conflict, you forget about what you know because you are striving. You're not being still and knowing that that covenant you made with that person is still valid but your emotions have taken over and you're not being still. You're striving. You're fighting. You, you, you got your dukes up. You're in protection mode. You're not going to get hurt. And so you're going to fight rather than being still, which again, remember the Hebrew word being still means to, to cease from striving, to put your arms down to your side, to relax. And so sometimes we get into these situations and we allow our emotions to cancel out or to get to cause us to forget about what we know. And see, what, we, what, we, what we're looking at here in this Psalms, in this 47th number of Psalms, 46th number of Psalms, let's, let's get back to verse 1. Verse 1. Verse 1 of this 46th number of Psalms. Look at that right quick, okay? Because I, I want you to understand something. And we'll get back at, and look at Jehoshaphat, but I want to I want to kind of unpack some of this in here and then we'll move forward, okay? Everybody say, be still and know. Guys, you know what I'm after as your, as your pastor? Let me, let me tell you what I'm after as your pastor. As your pastor, 
I'm striving to, to, to make the work of ministry here be solid and consistent. I want us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That can't happen if you up, down, level to the ground. It can't happen if you in and out, here today, gone five weeks. That can't happen if you commit to something today and then you disavow that commitment three weeks from now. God is looking, and as your pastor, I'm looking for believers who are willing to connect to the vision of building faith and connecting families. I'm, 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 I'm looking for people who are willing to say, Pastor, I want to become a disciple believer who consistently walks in the ways of God, and I want to have kingdom impact in my homes, in, in school, on my job, in my community at large. I want to reflect my faith and I want to lead others into a personal relationship with Jesus. But you cannot do that if you're not being still. If we don't, if you don't even know if you're going to connect or do what's being asked of you on the regular. See, we as a church have to commit ourselves, guys. And, and, and until we commit ourselves to doing things God's way, we won't do things God's way. We're looking, God is looking for commitment from each and every last one of us. A commitment to say, it's not my will, but your will. I want to do it your way, God, not my way. Because too many of us, if we're honest about it, too many of us like to do church our way. And we hadn't made a sacrifice. We won't sacrifice for nothing, nobody, because we are selfish in our own little right. Selfish means that I want to do it my way. When I want to do it, how I want to do it. I hear you, pastor, but that, that ain't me. I got, I got to do it my way. Listen, baby, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you got to stop doing it your way. Because Jesus says, I'm not going to have anybody or anything above me. And when you put yourself above what God's word says, basically what you're saying is, I'm more important than you, Jesus. All right? Watch this, watch this, watch this. So look at verse 1 of Psalms 46. Watch, it says, God is our what? He's our refuge and what? Read it one more time. God is our what? He's our refuge and our strength. A very present, come on. A very present help in trouble. NLT says, God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Okay? So, so let's park that just for a second. I want to kind of pick at that a little bit. This, in, in this verse here, we find three things that we can know about our faithful, unshakable, unmovable, ever-present God that can help us to relax in spite of the outcome of any battle that we face. Let's look at them right quick. First, first, first thing you notice in this verse is, first of all, the psalmist reminds us that God is our, number one, he's our refuge. Everybody say refuge. He reminds us that God is our refuge. Now, when we read this, because we have not, most of us, if you hadn't studied this, you have not inserted yourself into the culture of that day. So when it says God is our refuge, 
uh, it doesn't necessarily resonate with us. But, but refuge is a concept that, that, these, that these readers of this psalm at that time would have certainly understood what the author was talking about. Because you see, the Old Testament records that in, in Middle Eastern times, guys, they lived by a, a form of justice that they call, that, that would call for the service of someone who was known as a blood avenger. Everybody say blood avenger. Now, you said, but Pastor, what is a blood avenger? I'm glad you asked. Well, if, if a member of your family was killed, your relatives under the blood avenger rule, your relatives would, would, would call a meeting and appoint someone to fulfill the role of the blood avenger. And their task was was. Was, was, was just what it was. You're going to avenge the blood of your relative. Amen? Because a representative of your family had been a victim. They, they had been, a murder had been committed. And so the blood avenger job was to track down the killer and kill him, the end of his life. So now, again, that was, that was, that was, that was a, you know, come on, you think about that, you insert, insert yourself into that culture, that was, a, that was a pretty gruesome way to do a thing, right? Because what... Let me ask you a question. What happens if somebody kills somebody by accident? Let's just say they had cars back then. Well, let's, 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 Bill Hobbles put it this way. He says, what if a woman was driving, jumped on a camel and began to ride that camel and a five-year-old ran out in the middle of the road, dusty road, and the camel ran over them and killed the child. And the woman on the camel got down, was, was distraught, trying to save the young child, but the young child expired. Guess what? Under the blood avenger rule, whether it was by accident or on purpose, it did not matter. Are you listening to me? It did not matter. They would come after that person to avenge uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the death of that loved one. Now, guys, y'all know that in our criminal justice system today, we do have degrees uh, uh, or different levels of punishment based on what happened. Even though a person is dead, is dead, is dead, whether or not it was accidental, whether or not it was in self-defense, whether or not it was um, planned, premeditated, first-degree murder, all of those people who were dead were dead, right? So, but under this blood adventure rule, it did. There, there was no, there was no grace given for an accidental killing. So, what would happen is uh, that 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 uh, the the family would would track down that person and catch him uh, and then kill him to avenge the death of that loved one. So, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Numbers and and Joshua, God addressed the problem. Uh, of, of no no recourse or no no grace as it related to a blood avenger. Okay, so what he did was he established he addressed that problem by establishing what we call cities of refuge. Everybody say cities of refuge. And and throughout the nation of Israel, uh, there were six such cities where that were set aside as safe zones where someone like the woman who killed a child on the, on the camel or somebody who accidentally killed somebody, they could run to the city of refuge, Craig, and be safe. Are y'all listening to me? So I, I told you the first thing we got to realize if, as we look at this psalm is what? That, that what did I tell y'all? I said that, that God reminds us that God is what? Our refuge. 
How many of you know there's some time we've done some stuff that we really should have been struck down for? Can I get a witness up in here? Sometimes we did some things as born-again believers that really we should have faced some judgment on. I mean, it may not be anything criminal, but immoral things. And, and, and God is like our city of refuge. There are times where he, Cassandra shows us grace and mercy. So he's our refuge. So people would run to these cities of refuge and they would be what they call safe zones and, and they were throughout the city. So if, if you did something wrong, then if you made it to the city of refuge, then you would be safe as long as you're in that city of refuge. Can I get a witness? So God, number one, we got to realize is our refuge. Amen. He's, he's, he's our ever-present help in times of trouble. He's the one that protects us. He'll get us out of some stuff. Amen. He'll allow us to get strength so we can recuperate and get back to where we need to be. Amen. It's sort of like a, a, a city that, that you could go to and, and you could have that safe haven for that period of time. Is everybody with me? So the second thing is we see here, not only is God our refuge, but God is our what? He is our strength. Everybody say our strength. God is our strength. Have you ever felt like that you didn't have any more strength to keep going? Have you ever felt like that, you know, this is it, this is it, I, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm finished? Especially when it comes to doing things in ministry or working with people, because ministry is all about people. Y'all heard me say that time and time again. And if I'm going to be in ministry, if I'm going to serve, I can't keep running from people. Can I talk to y'all, everybody, everybody here, in the balcony and down here, if you're going to serve God, you got to quit running from people. I got two amens. I'm going to say it again. If you're going to serve God, you got to love God enough to love what God loves. And God loves people. And if we're going to do ministry the right way, guys, we're going to have to Stop being selfish, and we got to learn how to care about people enough to get involved with people's lives. Now, therein lies the problem. Because some of y'all I'm looking at right now, y'all run from people. Now, you see them here at church, but outside of church, you don't interface with nobody but people in your family, folks who you know, who just like you. See, if, if, if I'm going to be really effective in ministering to people, I got to connect with folks who, who may be a little bit different than I am, who think a little bit differently, who, who don't have it all together, who may still got some stuff in them that need to come out, but if, if I don't ever connect with them, if I'm always running from them, I won't be able to help them get out of what they're into. Because I, most of us in here say, well, you know, I, you know I, I, I'll, I'll be involved with people, Pastor, but it's only certain people I'm going to be involved with because I ain't going to fool with everybody. Guys, let me tell you something. God saved you to fool with folk who irritate you. Are y'all listening to me? I, I need, I'm, get, I'm getting up close to y'all because I want y'all to hear me. God saved you to deal with people who may irritate you, but they need some spiritual help. They need, amen, us to be available to minister and to share with them. God needs you and I to be in a position to where we 
are willing to yield our will to his will. Do you not realize there's sometimes, guys, I'm going to tell you, there's sometimes when we, when we face different kinds of people uh, and it, it, that, that, that if we're not careful, we'll have a, we'll have, we'll have a little mindset in our, in our, in our, in our own head that, that we're a little bit better than they are. And you better watch that spirit, that spirit of pride that arises. Well, you know, I got a little education, and I've, I've done this, and I got this, and so, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't be involved with those kind of folks. Let me tell you something. God called you, He saved me, left you, so you can be involved with those kind of folks. Somebody may be struggling, trying to get through something, and they need your help. They need you to be spirit-minded, so that you can provide some spiritual strength from someone who they can see every day. So God, number, number, the second thing we, we learn from this first verse is, is that he is our what? He is our strength. Because guys, can we be honest about it? And I, I, I love being honest. When we go through some tragic situation, it'll sap our energy. Trials will drain you. Will it not? Trials will drain you and they'll make you feel like you can't go on. Well, but throughout his word, God promises to give us strength that we need to get through those trying times. Go to Psalms 27 and 1 with me right quick. Watch this. Psalms 27 and 1. So first of all, he's our refuge. And y'all know what refuge means, right? It's synonymous, synonymous with God being like our city of refuge, where we can, when, when in, in times of trouble, he will hide me. How many of y'all know, how many of y'all need to be hidden sometime? Come on now, God will hide me. So Psalm 27, one says, the Lord is my light, what? And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Go with me right quick to Philippians 4 and 13. You don't have to turn there. I can do all things through Christ, what? Who strengthens me. This Psalm, Psalm 47, sort of echoes those principles. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This 47 number Psalm says, be still and know that I am God. So when a trial comes, quit trying to carry the burden by yourself. We, we need to make sure that we learn how to cast it over on the Lord. Y'all remember that passage that we quote all the time where it says, cast all of your cares upon the Lord because he what? Cares for us. Learn how to cast your stuff on God. Learn how to be still, stop striving, relax, put your arms to your side, and know that God is God. Paul uh, rejoiced. In, in relaxing his own efforts so that he could draw on God's power. Go with me to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, right quick, and look at verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12, and we'll look at verses 10 and 11. Well, as, as a matter of fact, start at verse number 7. Let's go to verse 7. Everybody still with me? Everybody say, be still and know. So, Pastor, what are you after? You keep harping on that. What are you after? What I'm after is I want us to operate and I want us to begin to move and to, to take direction, not based on our emotions and our feelings. I want us to become people who are principled 
and who know what God's word says about how we should deal with a situation and we don't allow our emotions to cause us to forget about what we know. And so if, I, if I'm moving based on what I know, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we don't know nothing. So if I don't know anything, I need to start knowing something. Because it says, be still and know that I am God. If I don't know, know in that sense, it's, 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 of a, it's, it's a word of intimacy. It's like Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Know is a word that says, I, I, I am in an intimate relationship with God. That means I spend time with God. That means that, that I'm allowing God and his word to have its preeminent place in my life, okay? Look, look at me right quick. Look, look what the text says. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Who's talking here, y'all? Who's he talking to? The church at Corinth, right? And the church at Corinth, we know from a historical perspective, was a church that had some challenges. They, was, they were carnally minded especially in that first letter, they got better when he wrote this second letter and began to handle some things a whole lot better. And that's the thing I want us to understand and know. Listen, all of us have been someplace in our spiritual journey, but don't stay in that place. All of us have been at certain places where we maybe wasn't doing it as well as we should, but don't stay there. We ought to be progressing in our walk with the Lord. Verse number, uh, verse again, verse seven, it says what? Um, uh, that uh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, he gave me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse number eight, let's read. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. Verse nine says what? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made what? Perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look at verse number 10. It says what? Therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities. Go, go, let's go to the NLT on that verse right quick. And let's, let's read it from the NLT. I like the way this reads, okay? Everybody say, be still and know. Watch what Paul says here. Paul says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Now watch this now. That's key. Paul said, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Make sure that those hardships that you're suffering are not because you did something crazy. But make sure that you're suffering because of your stand for Christ. And when I'm when I face persecution, when somebody talks about me for doing what was right, listen, I'm gonna take pleasure in that. When someone talks about me because I did something crazy, I'm not gonna take pleasure in that. He says here that that uh, again, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, "When I am weak, I am strong." Look at verse eleven. You have made me, read it, it says what? You have made me act like a fool. You ought to be what? Boasting like this. You ought to be writing commendations for me, for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing 
at all. What Paul is saying is, you know, there's some guys who were, who were promoting their own selves and people were, were, were following after them. But Paul was saying, listen, Corinthian church guys, I've, I've ministered to you, I've shared with you. And uh, he says, you made me act like a fool boasting like this. You ought to be writing commendations for me for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing at all. Look at verse 12 right quick. He says what? When I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. Paul ministered to these folks, guys. Okay? Uh, and the next verse says what? It says what? Uh, the only thing I failed to do, which I do in other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. Now, Paul was being a little sarcastic here because what he's telling the Corinthian church is, listen, I labored among you. I did miracles. I worked among you. And the only thing I didn't do is, is, is become a financial burden for you. Forgive me for not taking money from you. He was being sarcastic. Y'all know that, right? So what Paul was saying is, guys, listen, if you're going to challenge my apostleship, why would you challenge my apostleship when I'm the one who served you? When I'm the one who worked miracles among you, when I'm the one who was there with you uh, when the baby was born, when I, I'm the one that was there with you when you buried your mama and you buried your daddy. I was the one that was with you to help you get your, you and your husband back together. And now you are putting these guys above me like they are super apostles. Paul is saying, listen, uh, you, listen, you, you ought to be writing commendation. You ought to be writing a letter to the, to the folk at the big church saying, man, Paul has done this for us. And sometimes in life, Here's what happened. You'll start to feel this way. You'll say, I did all this to this person, and they don't appreciate it. You have somebody in your life like that? You did all this stuff for them, but they're not appreciating what you've done. But keep working anyhow. Paul kept on working. The third thing I want you to write down that we learned, first of all, we learned that God is our refuge. Second thing we learned from, from that 46 number of psalm is that God is our what? Our strength. And, and, and third, we need to know that in the midst of a crisis, he is with us. In the midst of a crisis, he is with us. Everybody say, he is with us. I need us to be still and know that he is God. So I'm going to stop here today. We'll pick back up on next week dealing with Jehoshaphat. But I want to pick your brain on this 46 number psalm and know that God is there for us. He loves every last one of us. And he desires for us to have an intimate relationship with him. He died on the cross so that you and I could have the privilege to have an intimate relationship with him. 